everyone, and welcome to the weekly... Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. Every time I read one of Paul's letters uh, found in our, our scripture, I think this is my favorite letter from Paul. And so if I'm reading... Uh, Romans, I think, oh, this is, this is the best stuff in the Bible. If I read 1st or 2nd Corinthians, I say, oh, this is, these are my favorite letters from Paul. If I read Galatians, I say, oh, this is my favorite. Whatever letter from Paul I'm reading at the time is my favorite letter from Paul. And during this month of August, as we talk about how we love our church and all the things that we're doing to make a difference in our community and uh, with each other, uh, we will be studying the letter to the church at Philippi. It's called Philippians in your Bible. And as I read it, I think this is my favorite letter from Paul. Um, he, uh, he, he has this uh, great mind. Um, he was a, a Pharisee and a lawyer, which means he knew all the Old Testament uh, memorization by heart. He knew all 615 laws by heart, and he kept them to the best of his ability. And then um, when he felt like, and this is, he was also a zealot, when he felt like his God was being attacked by this new group of uh, hooligans, this new uprising, uh, this rebellion by this Jesus character, he was so zealous for God and so zealous for his faith, he set out to kill those Christians. And then he met Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus, on the way to arrest Christians and have them brought back for a trial, he met Jesus face to face and he was changed. He was just instantly changed. And um, he began to reinvestigate all the, all the things he'd ever examined and all the things he'd ever been taught. And he began to use his mind and his memory and the scripture to actually teach others about Christ. And he began these missionary journeys and in Acts 16, you can follow along, he ended uh, one of his missionary journeys. He went to a place called Philippi. Now, Philippi was a Roman city in Europe. And when Paul got there on his missionary journey, this is the first time the gospel of Jesus Christ entered into Europe. And we have it recorded in our history book, Acts, of when Paul arrived there. And when he got there, it was so cool, he uh, met a woman on the Sabbath named Lydia, and she was a business owner, and he told her about Christ, and she wanted that. She was already God-fearing, but now she's hearing about Christ. She wanted that, and he baptized her, and she was in the faith. And then there was this uh, demon-possessed uh, woman who was uh, a slave, and she, was, she started, you can read this in Acts 16, I encourage you to go do that, and she started yelling, uh, uh, this is Paul, and he is a prophet of God and she started making all this commotion everywhere Paul went she started following him around until finally he had enough and he just he just said a word and and that demon had to come out of that girl I think I bet she became a believer it doesn't say 
And then Paul was arrested. He was thrown in jail. You've probably heard this before, him and Silas. And they were beaten and chained. And then that night, an angel appeared, caused an earthquake, and their chains were released. And the jailer, because he lived in this honor-shame culture, he was shamed he was going to kill himself because all the prison doors were open. He just knew the prisoners escaped. And Paul said, no, no, we're still here. And then the jailer was convicted that this must be from God, and he wanted to know how he could be saved. And so Paul and Silas explained to him the gospel, and then him and his family were baptized. This is the start of this church in Philippi. And Paul sent them a letter, and he sent, uh, and, and this uh, servant of Paul uh, would bring money to Paul from the church of Philippi. They were supporting this missionary uh, work, and, and they said, hey, Paul, we want to let you know that we love you and, and all that you've done. And then he sent a letter back and said, hey, I, know, I want you to know I love you too. And that letter that he sent back is the letter that we have that's called Philippians. And Paul starts his letter uh, like this, like um, every other kind of uh, letter in during those times you'd put your name first instead of how we do it at the end and uh then who kind of who you're writing it to and so paul and timothy probably timothy was helping paul write or paul wanted them to know timothy was with him he says paul and timothy servants in christ jesus to all god's holy people in christ jesus at philippi together with the overseers and deacons i just want to point out that when Paul starts this letter and he goes through you will see his love for this church but there are several things I want to point out in this scripture if you'll turn to Philippians chapter 1 with me we will see some things Paul wants to teach not only the church at Philippi but also us since Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter it was not only written to a certain group of people in a certain part of the world at a certain time in history but it's also written for us so if you'll turn in your bibles to philippians chapter one that would be great i would encourage you i a lot of times read my bible on my phone i have a bible app and it is it is fantastic uh, when i'm memorizing scripture a lot of times i'll use an app to help me memorize and i'll read my bible but i want to encourage you to get a uh, written copy maybe even to bring into uh, the congregation gathering because as we learn you can take notes and you can write down and underline some things that are really key in this letter. And so, because this is my favorite letter of Paul, I want you to see some words in there that are really key for us. As we examine chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, there are two major themes I want you to see. Connection and community. But there are some specific words that really go along with that connection and that community. Two things I want you to see. Connection and and community found in this letter and these are the reasons why Paul loved this church at Philippi and it's the same reasons why I love this church at Ohio this church at Wilmington this church at 909 West Locust Street just a couple of things uh, before I jump back in when Jesus said I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He used this great word called ecclesia. It means gathering. Anywhere you read the word church in the New Testament, would you just replace it mentally with the gathering of called out believers for a mission? That's a lot to put in one little word, isn't it? 
Church is an interpretation given to us by the German language out of Latin that means place of worship or place where you bow down. And that is not what Jesus meant when he said, Ecclesia, I will build my gathering of called out believers on mission. Okay? He didn't mean building. He meant people. And so when I say I love my church, well, I like the facility just fine. Love's kind of strong. But I love the people. Okay, follow along. Paul loved the gathering of called out believers on mission at Philippi, and I love the gathering of called out believers on mission at Wilmington. Number one, connection. I want you to see why Paul loved the church, excuse me, the gathering of called out believers on mission at Philippi because of the connection he had with them. Paul and Timothy, servants in Christ. Notice that word, in Christ. They were in Jesus. They were in fellowship with Jesus. They knew Jesus as both master and savior. They were uh, indwelled with the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. They were in Christ. They were connected, number one, because he says this letter is to God's holy people in Christ at Philippi together with overseers and deacons. There's a connection there because he's talking about the called out believers on mission that were in Christ, that had the same connection to Jesus, the same fellowship with Jesus, the same mission from Jesus, the same indwelling spirit from Jesus, the Holy Spirit. There's a connection here, and Paul automatically, Paul says, we are family. One of the reasons he loved the called out believers on mission, the church in Philippi, is because they are connected by being in Christ together. I'd like for you to do homework, if you would, on that phrase, in Christ. You'll find it all throughout Paul's letters, but if you'll just do a Google search of all the places the Bible uses in Jesus, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, you'll find a lot of them are within the letters of Paul, and Paul mentions not only being in Christ, a position, but also in the New Testament, it talks about how you get into Christ. And this is really important. Because whereas this letter is written to the church at Philippi and to the church at Wilmington, it is written for people who are in Jesus. And there's a big distinction between those who are in Jesus and those who are outside of Jesus. And so we need to know what it means to be in Jesus, but we also need to know how to get into Jesus. Because if you're not in Jesus, and we are a large enough congregation, and we're in a large enough community that we will have people come in and praise God if they do. We'll have people come into this gathering that are not actually in Jesus and that's a very dangerous place to be because God has this line that you are either outside of Christ or in Christ and we need to know whether we're in or out and this letter is to the family that is in Jesus being in the family of Jesus brings with it all these things number one it brings with it the payment of penalty for sin Then he sets us apart to be his holy people, and he makes us his family. And he gives us every spiritual gift in the heavens that belong to Christ now come into 
us while we're in Christ. It's an available to us. And the indwelling Holy Spirit is only available to those in Christ. And the rebirth where you become a new creation is only available in Christ. In Christ is so good. So you need to study what it means to be in Christ, but you also need to know what it mean, how to get in Christ. The scripture has moments in time where you enter into the relationship of the Bible. And I want you to look for those words, in Christ, that preposition in, because it's the moment that you receive salvation, the moment your sins are forgiven, the moment that you get the Holy Spirit indwelling you. There's a specific moment in time in the Bible. You should read it and find out what it says. Don't just do what you've been taught. You know, Paul, he was taught from the very beginning what it was to be a good Jewish follower of the faith. And when he met Jesus, he had to rearrange everything he'd ever thought about it. Everything he'd ever taught, because everything he was taught about it didn't quite sum up to Jesus. And so anytime we come across something better in Scripture that teaches us further, that pulls us to maturity, we need to go along with that. And Scripture is very clear on when you get in Jesus. There's a moment of time. And this letter to those in Jesus. Are you in Jesus? And if you say yes, how do you know and use Scripture as your answer? How do you know whether you're in Jesus or not? Think about that. That's your homework. Does anybody do Bible homework? By the way, if you just allow this time on Sunday morning to be your homework time, you will not be a very mature Christian. As one preacher says, I can't do your homework for you. To all God's holy people. Now, uh, there, here's another uh, thing that there's this connection uh, Paul's, Paul and Timothy, servants in Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus that Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. That word God's holy people in the Greek, it actually doesn't mention the word theos, God there. It says hagios, which is saints. And so the, the better interpretation, but I know why the NIV went away from that, is to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. I know why the, holy, I know why, uh, the NIV went away from using that word saints because saints has this... Um, this uh, ideology behind it that sometimes we don't understand. Saints, when we think about from the Catholic Church, are people who um, did this miraculous thing and then they're set apart and people pray to those people. And um, all that is not found like in Scripture. Scripture says pray to God alone, pray to Jesus alone. And the Scripture uses the word saint not to describe somebody who is specially used by God, but it actually used the word saints to describe everybody in Jesus. So technically, you could put on your business card, whatever your name, Saint Dale. You wouldn't put my name, you'd put your name. Because I'm in Christ. Technically, you could sign all your emails, sincerely, saint, and fill in your name, if you're in Christ. Because what saint means in Scripture, and there's a connection here, it means you've been placed in Christ. That means you've been set apart for God to use you. And whether he uses you in a grand, big way and does miracles through you or uses you in a small way, you're set apart for his kingdom and you are a saint. And Paul says there's a connection there that causes me great joy. I'm a servant. You're a saint. We work together in the gospel. And there's a connection. Saints and servants. By the way, if you're in Christ and that makes you a saint, that also makes you a servant. 
Paul was in Christ, he could just sign all of his letters, St. Paul. But he signs them and reminds everybody that he's a servant. May I remind you and remind you about me as a pastor in this church, I am your servant. And as one other pastor points out, I'm your servant, but you are not my master. And let me continue on. You are servants to me, but I'm not your master. We are saints together in Christ serving the kingdom of God. This is in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Philippians, and I have I spent 10 minutes here. See why it's my favorite letter? We can do this with all of Paul's letters. Whatever letter I'm reading from Paul, that's my favorite letter at the time. There's a connection here. There's also connection in thanksgiving and joy and reminders. He continues on. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time Paul thinks about those days at Philippi when he came in, in spite of being arrested, in spite of being beaten, in spite of being thrown in jail, he think, is so thankful for this church at Philippi. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. How? Why? He's thinking about that jailer who came to Christ, and then he told his family about it, and they came to Christ, and then they started telling other people about it. He's thinking about Lydia, that businesswoman who came to Christ, and she told all her business associates about it, and she was wealthy in the city. So a lot of people were seeing this changed person. He's thinking about that woman who he cast a demon out, and all of a sudden she can't help but tell people, I was possessed, I was a slave, now the slave owners don't want me because I'm not possessed anymore, and I have made myself a slave to Christ. And every time Paul is reminded of that, he has thanksgiving and joy. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. What about this church in Christ? These saints in Christ at Wilmington. Do you ever think about the difference we are making in the world. We have people that have gone out from this congregation who are making a difference. Some of you might remember Kevin and Mary Ellis. They moved to Florida. Don't you just kind of hate them now? Kevin and Mary Ellis, when they moved to Florida, Kevin started driving a bus for the special needs kids in the school district, and Mary is his assistant. And their prayer, and they made the paper, their prayer and New Year's resolution for 2019 when they started driving the bus for the special needs kids was to make a difference in these kids' lives just by showing them the love of Christ as they drove them on the bus, and you know they really did. Kevin said some of the kids that got on wouldn't even speak to them or look at them when they first met them, but they were so loving and so caring for these kids that all of a sudden they start coming out of their shell and you can tell they're making a difference in these kids' lives. Those are people from our church. When I think about Kevin and Mary and the things they did here, how they would go around and visit people in their homes, Kevin every year at a certain time would bring corsages to all the women in the Veterans of Christianity class. They were so kind and generous, opening up their home. They're doing the same thing in Florida. When I think about them, I'm so thankful. I'm filled with joy. When I pray for them, I'm filled with joy. Bob, Ben Abbott, 
one of the ministers on staff here, he went out and left this congregation. He is planting a church in Florida, Multiply Christian Church. And he's starting to make a difference in that community of, of all these different sects, uh, sects of Christianity, and all these different uh, ethnic groups and all these different uh, economic groups. He's beginning to make a difference in Florida. That's from us. When I think about him, I'm thankful and I have joy. Bob and Connie Brown and Bob and Mita Pitzer members of our church that went and left and went to Lynchburg, First Lynchburg Church of Christ, because First Lynchburg Church of Christ was failing, was going to close their doors. So they went and started there and started training up elders and started training up deacons and started teaching Sunday school and started leading that church. And now that church is no longer in danger of closing their doors and they're beginning to grow again. When I think about, these are people that have left our congregation. And then I started thinking about the people that are here. I think about Cheryl Brockmeyer, who just did art camp, and there were 25 kids that went to art camp, and um, there were several people that helped them do art camp, and uh, one of those people that she was put in, she put in charge of helping the other students do art was my oldest son. And Trish Burton, who was helping out, she texted me, I got to tell you about your son, how he did everything he was asked, he never complained, he never grumbled, and he was a highlight for those kids to work with. Well, what parent doesn't want to hear that? And so when I think of Cheryl, and I think of Trish, and I think of my son working with those students, what do I have? I'm thankful and I have joy because of that connection they made. And then I think of Tony Brockmeyer, who took this group of high schoolers to this uh, convention called Move. And out of that convention, there was a girl who was, uh, she doesn't attend here very often, but she started attending with the small groups and started making a connection with the small groups. And she went to this Move conference where they told her about Jesus Christ and she's getting baptized next week because she has decided to give her life to Christ. Yesterday, no, excuse me, three days ago, Beth Green and Tony Brockmeyer interviewed her for her baptism video, and you're going to hear her story next week. And it's, I don't want to steal her thunder. It's a beautiful story. And when I think about what Tony has done with our youth and how he makes them have connections, if, if they're willing, have connections in group, and then he trains up leaders, other adults to come in and make connections with those children and connections that last for decades. When I think of that, I have thanksgiving and joy. And yesterday, I went to a funeral. And when I showed up at the visitation, there was Flo and Wayne Manning at the funeral home ready to visit. Friday morning, Thursday morning, Ken Driscoll, I don't remember what day it is now. Ken Driscoll had surgery when I showed up at the hospital at 5 a.m. Steve Bradshaw was there, another one of our church members. When I think about the difference our congregation is making, I have thanksgiving and joy. Here, I wrote down some more names. I want to, oh, uh, I wrote down, because I'm going to leave somebody out. I'm not going to even mention everybody. Uh, Courtney Hope. Uh, texted me last week after the sermon. She said, you know, your sermon called us to have compassion with action. And so I just text 40 people in my phone, heard back from three of them. One person said, I said, Courtney, can I share this with the congregation? She said, sure, go ahead. She said, one person receiving the text, and the text was just basically, hey, I'm thinking about you. I don't know why I'm thinking about you, but I love you. And she said, one person said, 
I haven't been able to get out of bed. I'm depressed. Your text enabled me to get out of bed. One person she hadn't talked to in a long time, that person called them and said, hey, I lost your number. I'm so glad you contacted me. And they talked for a couple hours. Another person said, I'm so thankful you called. Why would you think of me? I'm so thankful. She made a difference just from a text. Another member of our congregation, Terry, uh, Terry Fisher, uh, she has a friend that has been cutting himself. And she was able to intervene and hug on this person and say, God loves you. I'm going to be here for you. You don't have to do that. Tony and Jill Naylor uh, were making beds yesterday for the community, for people who don't have beds. And you know, Tony my, it, it runs Naylor's Furniture. My son is working for Naylor's Furniture. So my son ended up making beds too. And they're just volunteering their time for the community to make a difference. Connie Dameron sends notes to anybody. You might have gotten a note from Connie Dameron, especially if you're just visiting because she hunts you down. She sees that you're new and she's like the FBI getting your address and then she'll send you a note just saying, hey, I'm glad you were here. Last Wednesday, at the, they had an art show for the kids who went to art camp. My wife all of a sudden had kidney stone pain and immediately had to go. If you've ever had a kidney stone she immediately had to leave. She's had a kidney stone before. She recognized what it was. And so she was talking to Laura Myers. And I texted Laura Myers to say, hey, my wife had to leave really quickly because she has got kidney stone pains. And Laura said, well, what can I do? I didn't even notice. I said, well, just pray for her. And Laura prayed for her. She texted me the next day, how's Carrie? And Carrie's kidney stone pain was gone. When I think about Bruce Stoffer, who's teaching in the classroom right next to us, last week he filled in for another preacher at another church just to fill the pulpit so it gives the preacher a break at a smaller um, church that, than us. Rusty and Karen fight. Anything you ask them to do, they'll do. Chuck and Angie Tucker, anything you ask them to do, they'll do. Doug and Joy Robinette, anything you ask them to do, they'll do. When I think about the saints who are servants in Christ at Wilmington, Ohio. I thank my God every time I remember them. And I am filled with joy in my prayer because of the difference this church is making. Are you in or are you out? Because out of the spiritual gifts listed in the scripture, I don't think I mentioned one of them because it's not a comprehensive list. God just wants you to serve where you are. Speaking of serving where you are, I'm all over the place today. Because I do have another point I want to make about community. And it's really important. But the governor has asked us to put our flag at half-mast because there was a shooting in Dayton last night. I don't know if you heard about it. It was very early this morning. Uh, nine people were killed, 26 were wounded. Well, Dayton is just a hop, skip, and a jump from here, right? Serve where you are. Um, here's how you can help. We have people in our congregation who are aware, and we've taken safety precautions for our congregation where we only have two entrances on Sunday morning. You can only get in this door or get in at Kid City Check-In. Those are the only two entrances we're supposed to come in on Sunday morning. And so we have people posted at the do those doors. We have greeters. We have ushers. We have servants that are watching. We have some people here 
that I don't know about that carry a concealed weapon, I'm sure. And what they're doing is they're being shepherds. What I'd like to do is put together an awareness team of people just to walk around and be aware of what's going on in our building so that we can be even safer than we've already done. We've had the police come and check and say, hey, you're about as safe as you can be, but we don't have an awareness team that kind of walks around, that has some walkie-talkies, that says, hey, this part of the building is secure, this part of the building's locked down, or even to be able to say, hey, we have somebody that has fallen, can we get some help over here? We don't have really an awareness team around. Here's how you can help. If you'd like to be a part of the awareness team or you know somebody who you think would be good at the awareness team, would you write a note to me? It's going to take work on your heart part, okay? It's going to take effort. Would you write a note and give me the note of a name that you think would be good at awareness team for our facility when we gather together? You can do that right now. I'll give you five seconds if you think of somebody who'd be good at the awareness team, or you maybe even yourself, would you take out a note? And you can pray, not only for the families in Dayton um, that were affected by this, but, you know, Dayton, at that time of night, at the uh, downtown bars that they, those people were in, that means they were people from all over the surrounding area. So it's not just families at Dayton that are affected, fa families from anywhere within a 50-mile radius. You can pray for them. If you want to help right now, saints who are servants in Christ, you can begin praying for those families and comfort them. And then maybe you can write down a name. You think, hey, you know, this person would probably be good on the awareness team. Keep out your pen and paper because I want you to write down another name in just a minute um, when we talk about community. So Paul says there's a connection here. They're in Christ, saints and servants. There's a connection here with thanksgiving because of the joyful reminders he has in Christ. And number two, there's also a community here. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's a community he mentions here, that is so valuable, and it's in that word partnership. That word partnership in other places in Scripture is called fellowship. It's the word koinonia in the Greek. Now, koinonia can mean fellowship, and it can mean partnership, and what Paul is using it here is he says, I love the community that is happening from the servant saints that are in Christ Jesus at Philippi. There's a partnership that's going on. There is a business product being produced if you can think of partnership that way and doesn't christ call us to produce something as christians doesn't christ give us a command go ye therefore to all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit and teaching them to obey all i've commanded you and i will be with you until the end of the age all authority has been given to me jesus said all authority has been given to jesus and he commands us to make disciples and paul says when I'm reminded of you, church at Philippi, I'm reminded not only of what you have done, but also the partnership you have in the gospel and what you're doing to make new disciples. There's a partnership going on here. There's this dual identity the church possesses of 
evangelism, that means you tell others about Jesus and you bring them into Christ, and nurturing, where you grow them up in Christ so they become mature believers that go out and make new disciples. This dual role, if it doesn't happen, we're not as mature as we think we are. If we know a lot about the Bible, but we're not actively trying in one way or another to make disciples, then we are not mature Christians. Now, it doesn't always mean we have to verbally tell somebody, because I know some people who have the gift of generosity, and what they do is they just pump missions full of money because they know every dollar they give is going to go lift up the name of Jesus Christ somewhere, and somebody's going to be saved. And when they get to heaven, they're going to have a reward in heaven because they have pumped, given, generous money into missions. Some people, they pray, and they pray hard over their lost family members and their lost friends and the lost people in the community, and their prayers are moving the hand of God, and they are bringing about a salvation and a conversion to these people in our community through their prayers, and they are in the partnership of Christ, koinonia, producing new disciples. They are making disciples just through their prayers. So what I'm saying is, If you claim to be in Christ and you're not actively trying to make disciples and nurture others to make disciples in this tornado effect that goes round and round, they make a disciple and they mature to become a Christian and obey Christ and they make a disciple. And then that person makes a disciple and becomes mature in Christ and they make a disciple. And that tornado that should be going on in our congregation and then spreading out in the community, it's more like... A gentle breeze, I'm afraid, in our church. I think we spend a lot of time trying to mature Christians and we forget about that dual role we have to make disciples. And the only reason why I think that maybe we're not doing enough is because we have about 450 people that come through here on a Sunday morning, sometimes 500, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. And if we were actually doing that maturity to make disciples thing, that tornado, we would turn the community upside down. And we'd have more people coming to faith. And Paul says, hey, remember, it didn't start with you. It started with God. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. God wants to work through us to make disciples, but it's a partnership with him where we have to actively engage in obedience to what he's called to do. Make disciples as you go along baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. There's the make disciple and the nurturing part that happens in that partnership. When Paul thought about the the church at Philippi, he thought, whoa, what a great job you guys are doing. Everywhere you go, you're telling somebody else about Jesus, and they are being convicted and converted to Jesus Christ. Not converted to a religion, not converted to the church at Philippi, converted to Jesus, and then they looked for a gathering to latch on to. This is our part of being saints and servants in Christ. We are to make disciples and then nurture them so that they can make disciples. One of the ways that we do that is through prayer and through giving, through attending our congregation. By the way, if you're missing out, if you're not attending regularly to the gathering, you're forgetting, you're not being reminded of the thanksgiving and the joy and the difference we're making. You're relying on yourself, one author writes, because you're not relying on the power of The community God has given us. But he's called us to a partnership. And he says, we don't have to worry about whether we are doing it because God is going to be working through us to make those disciples. All we have to do is obey and try. 
He'll provide the growth. He'll provide the heart change. He'll provide the conviction by the Holy Spirit. He'll provide the conversion through faith. But we are called to partner with him. Paul, when he thought about those servant saints, called out ones on mission in Philippi, he was filled with thankfulness and joy because of the community partnership they were building. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think about you this way, he says. Since I have you in my heart, and, and here's how the partnership works, whether I am in chains, because Paul was in prison for preaching Christ, or defending and confirming the gospel, that's how that partnership works. We defend the gospel, we confirm the gospel, we tell other people the good news about Jesus. We defend the good news about Jesus. We confirm the good news about Jesus. That's what Paul was doing. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, I know that all of you share in God's grace with me. Servants, saints in Christ, share in grace. So wherever we mess up, wherever we don't do right, God just supplies more grace on top of us. Paul mentions two things. In this first 11 verses, a connection and a community. And those two things cause him to have thanksgiving and joy. It motivates him to continue on in the gospel. And then he has a prayer. Would you make this your prayer too? He says, my prayer is this, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you will be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's a big prayer. We've got to unpack it. It's one of my favorite reasons why this is my favorite letter from Paul. Love is going to conquer all, is what he says. So we need to pray for an increase in love. If we actually loved the other Christians like Christ had love for the Christians, Paul says, uh, God can testify, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now that's a big statement. In Matthew chapter um, 6, let me see, I wrote it down. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 Jesus saw the people. He had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion is the word Paul uses for affection. He says, I have the same affection Christ had for all of you. In Luke 7, last week, when we were studying where Jesus met the the funeral procession, and when he saw her, his heart went out to her. That word heart went out to her is the same root word for compassion found in Matthew chapter 9. It's the same root word for compassion for affection that Paul uses here. And he says, I long for you with the affection of Christ. God can give you testimony that I do that. If we have that same type of love, and that's what Paul prays for, that our love would increase. If we have that same type of love for other Christians, we're going to help them nurture and mature in Jesus. And if we have that same type of love growing within us for those outside of Christ, we won't be able to help but tell them about the rescue that they can have in Jesus. We can't help but pray for them about the rescue they need in Jesus. We can't help but give money 
into missions and into God's kingdom because we love them with an affection that keeps growing, the same affection Christ had, the same affection that made him go to the cross and die for us, that same love he had for us. Paul says, I want that type of love to increase in you so you can be wise. He says three things that happen when we have that love. We discern what is best. We're pure and blameless. If we love Jesus, we're actually going to be obeying him more. We actually obey the law of Christ and we'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's service. If we love. And so Paul says, I pray that your love increases. So all these things begin to happen. Here's one way that we would like to increase the love of this congregation. And here's how you can help. Uh, So I want you to think about this. I want you to pray about this. We're going to spend about 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds praying about this. So when I went to the hospital to visit Ken, and Steve was there, okay, following along, there are people who are shut in or homebound or in the hospital or just need a visit that the staff cannot get to that's here at our church. But we want to increase our love, and the way we do that is we can train up a visitation team from this congregation. So here's what I'd like for you to do. Don't, don't do anything. Don't move yet. Let me give all the instructions. You know more people in the gathering of called out believers than I do. You know more people in the church than I know in the church. Collectively. I would like for you, in just a minute, to pray for a person's name that God tells you. You ask God to tell you a name of a person who would be good at making a visit to a family member, a person in our congregation who's in Christ who would be good at loving on somebody else in a visit. I I, I feel like I'm not explaining this well. You know somebody in our church, and maybe you haven't thought of the name yet, but you know that they would be good on a visitation team because they really love Jesus and they really love people and they would go in and they would just sit with somebody for 15 minutes or half an hour and they just pray with them and just tell them they're loved and they just make a good visit. You know somebody that would be good at that and you know more people than I do and so what our elders have asked me to do is ask the congregation like in Acts chapter 6 the apostles said give us some names about who's going to serve meals. That's, you can check it out in Acts chapter 6. And so the congregation gave the apostles some names. They prayed over it. And then they appointed those names to go visit. And we'd like to do that here. And so here's how I want it to work. I want us to close our eyes. And I want us to find where Jesus is. And as you pray, where is Jesus? You're going to come to the discovery that Jesus is with you. And we're going to ask Jesus to give us a name that we know that would be good at showing that kind of affection for others. And when Jesus gives you that name, I want you to write it down. This is the effort part. You have to, and then give me that name at the end so I can take it to our elders and they're going to contact these names and pray over these names and ask those people, the names that you give, if they'd be willing to be on a visitation team. Were my instructions clear? All right, let's try this. We've never done this before. Close your eyes. and Seek out where is Jesus. Take a breath in. 
release it, and ask him, where are you? I love the fact that Jesus is here with me. Would you please ask Jesus to tell you who would be good at making a visit? Now, if Jesus spoke to you right then and gave you a name, would you write that name down and bring that up to me at the end of the service? This is the partnership we have in Christ. Saints who are set apart to serve in Christ. And that same spiritual power that raised Jesus from the dead, that gave us Scripture, is also directing our steps if we're willing to listen so we continue on that partnership to cause thanksgiving and joy in others. And we're looking to put a team together that would increase the expression of love from our congregation to our community. Jesus gave us a reminder. Let's wrap it up. This is chapter 1. This is the reason Paul loved the church at Philippi. This is the reason why I love our church here. This is just chapter 1. And Jesus gave us a reminder of the connection and community we have in Christ when he gave us communion. As we come together at the end of our worship service, we remind ourselves of the connection and community Jesus gives us. Where we remind ourselves that we are in Christ because of his sacrifice, and we do that with the reminder of communion. Communion reminds us that Jesus, when he went to the cross, he died on the cross for me and because of me. That reminder should give us thanksgiving in our heart. We are thankful for what Christ did, and it should give us joy in our heart because we're reminded of what he did for us and what he continues to do, rescuing us time and time again with grace upon grace. And as we consume communion, we're reminded of the reason why we have thanksgiving and joy. Can we do communion different today as a gathering? Can we, as the tray is passed, can we take the bread and hold it and take the cup and hold it and pass the tray and then we all consume the bread at the same time together as one church? Usually, they pass the tray and we take the bread and we eat it and we take the cup and we drink it. We pass the tray and we sit there and pray and we uh, think about what God has done and we meditate on what God has done. Can we do as one church today, as the tray is passed, would you hold the bread in your hand and would you hold the cup in your hand and we'll just take it together as one church. So I'll say, and now we consume what Jesus calls the body and we'll all take the bread at the same time. Now, we did this one time before and uh, because we're so used to pass it, take the bread, pass the tray, take the cup, pass the tray. Um, one time, a couple, uh, it's probably been years ago, I saw somebody in the back and they took, we had said, we're all going to take it together. And they took the, the tray, they ate their bread and drank their juice, put it back. And then when it came time, we all did it, they faked it. They pretended to eat the bread and pretended to take the cup again because they were so embarrassed. Listen, if you mess up and you don't do it that way and, and you just forget in that moment because the tray's heavy and you're trying to pass it, if you take the, and eat it and you're not with us, we're, we're not going to come get you. I might talk about you in a sermon later, but we're not going to come get you. Okay? But what I just thought we would do is since we have so much to be thankful for in this congregation and so much to be thankful for because of what Christ has done for us, that we would just be thankful 
at the exact same moment together. So today, today, and maybe for this whole series, when the tray is passed, if you're in Christ, and what we mean by being in Christ in this congregation is if you've been buried, baptized in Jesus' death and raised by faith to a new life, we want you to take communion with us. Would you take that bread and just hold it? And take that cup and just hold it and pass the tray and wait for the instruction to consume it together as one church. Lord, I thank you for this communion who reminds us of all the reasons we need to be thankful and have our hearts filled with joy because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And during the meal, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take the bread and consume it, remembering what Christ has done for you? And after dinner, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you consume the cup? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us on the cross, taking away our sins, giving us the indwelling spirit, and allowing us to be in your family, forgiven, holy, saints, set apart to be servants of the Most High God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.